The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host, Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo. Well, welcome back to Fired Up. This is Gordon Rudo, your host once again. And I'm just going to be upfront about this. I, uh, I'm doing this show from home today. And uh, it's a little hectic here around the house with the dog and the kid and the wife and the whole thing. But we're just going to roll with it because we've got Paul Salinger on, who's uh, both a, a friend, a colleague, and um, an extraordinarily creative guy who we've partnered with uh, at Oracle. Uh, so we're just going to jump in uh, with Paul and see how this goes today. So, <laughs> Paul, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. You know, it, it, every day is, is an interesting challenge at Oracle, and, you know, we're con- continually staying really busy, but I'm doing great. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on, and we've had a couple years of playing together, um, and, and I'd like to expose our listeners to uh, your thinking and your creativity, and you're a guy uh, that's pretty unusual at Oracle. Is there anybody else at Oracle who gets to run around and do the creative stuff that you do? <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure that anybody gets to run around and do it in the way that I do it. You know, I, I do have a very unique position and one that you might not see in most uh, marketing organizations. And it's been kind of a great journey for the last 10 years there in the sense that even when I came into the company, you know, I, I, we never had a really defined role for what my job was going to be. Having come from the event production agency side, you know, they wanted to bring in kind of a creative resource and, you know, an event resource to some degree. But the job has really evolved over the last few years, um, more away from kind of event production and more in terms of, you know, just what I was doing even before coming to Oracle when they were a client of mine relative to kind of idea generation and, and thinking strategically about how we run our events and how we deliver content at those events. And, you know, and I do get to be the guy who kind of runs around and, and, and generates a bunch of ideas and then tries to help people get them executed. But, um, but for the most part, I, I, get to, I get to play in that sandbox of idea generation, which is a pretty unique area within Oracle and, and one that I really relish. And I do want our listeners to know, so maybe I'll get in trouble for this later. You can slap me around at our next meeting, um, Paul. But I, I think it's fascinating that, um, if I can share, your title at Oracle is, is vice president. And from what I understand in our previous conversations, it's limited to that title um, to give you the room to be creative in a lot of places. So for the listeners, um, there's an event marketing team and jump in if uh, you'd say it differently, Paul. But from the event marketing perspective, this is a huge, huge part of how Oracle generates business. 
marketing at Oracle significantly happens in what is considered kind of interactions with customers or, or in events from uh, what I heard from Larry. Larry considers almost everything that you do connecting uh, in the business development process with customers as events. Is that, is that fair to say, or how would you describe that? No, that is fair to say, and, and, and there's no question that events are a huge part of our marketing um, portfolio, if you will. Um, you know, we do over 6,500 events of, of all different kinds of sizes, but, but you're right. Larry doesn't even necessarily look at, you know, an event as distinct from a direct marketing piece, as distinct from any other marketing piece. You know, to him, they're all basically customer interactions and customer touch points. And the way that we integrate them together is what is was kind of the key to the success of what we're doing with marketing at Oracle. So uh, events, and especially live events, are incredibly important in the sense that in the B2B space, the business-to-business space that Oracle sells into, you know, we're doing multi-million dollar deals with customers, and it's not like buying, you know, a soda or something across the counter where, you know, it's a commodity. You really have to look at people, and you've got to understand who they are, and you've got to understand who you're dealing with when, before you sign that deal. And so face-to-face interactions are an incredibly important part of our, you know, marketing mix at Oracle. And they can range from everything from, you know, a breakfast with a few customers and one of our, you know, senior management people up to our big, you know, 40,000-plus user conference that we do every year in San Francisco, Oracle Open World. But, yes, events are, are one of the key channels that we use to go out and talk to customers. And from I here, you are, uh, as a corporation in event marketing, rethinking the way that you do these events. And the face-to-face that is so desirable is more challenging with today's travel conditions and economic concerns. So, so what are you thinking about as the next generation of face-to-face interactions at Oracle? Well, it is changing, and I think that we're finding that customers, you know, are, they're certainly faced with travel restrictions, and, you know, in this, in this current economy, they're faced with, you know, an inability sometimes to travel to events. And so what we're really trying to do is we're trying to think about, you know, is it, is it incumbent on trying to get customers to actually come to events, or is it incumbent on us to actually go out and talk to customers? And so we're changing up our mix a little bit in the sense that we're doing a lot more smaller events, and we're starting to think about, you know, even taking some of our senior executives, and we've been doing this now for the last, oh, almost a year now, of really just taking them out to the customers and having smaller, local, more regionalized events, very high-touch events, and really targeting, you know, those people that we know are going to be the, the buyers and the decision makers and sometimes the influencers, but getting out and seeing our customers more, and even doing things like account-specific marketing where we design marketing um, programs, if you will, for very um, high-touch kinds of activities with some of our biggest customers, you know, customers like GE and GM where we have, you know, like literally newsletters specifically designed for that company, events that are designed specifically for that company where we go in and do a day of Oracle and GE-specific activities. Um, you know, and then there's the whole virtual world as well. And, and I think, you know, I mean, I definitely have a bunch of opinions about what's happening in the world of virtual um, kind of, quote, events. I'm, I'm not sure that events can really be virtual, at least in the way that we see them. But definitely there are some virtual experiences and some virtual things that you can do to extend and complement what you're doing in the live environment. 
And sometimes you can even design these things in a way that it not necessarily replaces what you're doing, but is something that's tied into an integrated marketing campaign in kind of a fun and unique way, and then is maybe followed on by a face-to-face interaction for us. I, I know in the event industry there's a lot of talk right now about kind of the replacing of certain events with virtual events. I'm not sure that we subscribe to that particular philosophy, but but it is something that we're definitely looking at and working on in terms of understanding, you know, how our customers behave um, in both a face-to-face environment and an online environment, and then trying to design programs that, you know, kind of match to those patterns and match to that behavior so that we can reach them in kind of interesting and unique ways. So when we talk about virtual meetings, and we're going to take a short break here, um, I, I would like to dive into that some more because when we spoke last week, uh, and if I can expose this conversation, or maybe it was two weeks ago now about these virtual events, as you say, the, the industry is looking at these virtual trade shows, this kind of large-scale visual interface of a conference that you kind of walk into virtual rooms and experience the same kind of thing that you'd experience on, on kind of a webinar but in, inside of an interface. But I think there's a whole lot more that we uncovered a couple weeks ago as the opportunities here, as you say, in an integrated marketing type of perspective. So we're going to take a short break and we'll talk about virtual meetings some more, and I, I also want to speak about audience centricity, something that you're all passionate about. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Paul Salinger. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Here's your bill. Thank you so much, guys. Hey, it's all right. I'll take care of the tab, Jason. Well, thanks, Dave. How are you doing so well these days? It seems everyone's in a pinch for cash. RevenueWire.com, that's how. RevenueWire? Yeah, RevenueWire.com is an all-in-one platform offering affiliates high-demand software from top-notch PC utility merchants. With 75% commissions, twice-monthly payouts, incredibly accurate analytics tools, RevenueWire is making me more money today than I did in the last few years put together. Even in this economy? Especially in this economy. RevenueWire has a ton of great products to meet the demand. I'm telling you, this network is recession-proof. RevenueWire, the recession-proof network platform. For more information, visit RevenueWire.com today. That's RevenueWire.com. Hey, have you got the number for Jerry's Pizza? Look it up on LocalPages.com. LocalPages.com. Well, what if I wanted a business number in Miami? LocalPages.com. Can people find your business online? Be seen with LocalPages.com on every local listing in all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, Amazon, and Ask. With over 6 billion quality searches a month and bids starting as low as one set, get connected with local consumers at the exact moment that they're looking for you. San Francisco, Green Bay, London. I told you. LocalPages.com. List your business on LocalPages.com now and get $100 in free local advertising. LocalPages.com, bringing your neighborhood to you. It's time to start jamming and spamming again with the princes of PageRank, the heroes of HTML, the sultans of surf, SEO rock stars, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. You're getting fired up only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're back with Paul Salinger talking about virtual meetings and the idea of the next generation of what 
conferences are and how Oracle's thinking about that. So uh, if you can, Paul, can you describe some of the ways that, that you mentioned kind of integrated marketing and ways of using beyond this virtual trade show thing, which I know you have a point of view about, what do you see as the exciting possibilities, not just for Oracle, but for the, the future of what interactions look like with customers in a non-face-to-face format that can be as intimate as possible? Yeah, you know, and I, talk, I actually did a keynote last week at the event Marketing Summit in Chicago, and I talked about this a little bit, and I, and I kind of challenged the event industry to think about, you know, what they're doing with um, some of this thinking around virtual events. Because, you know, the reality is, is we tend to fall in love with the technology. And any kind of a social media campaign, and I, and I choose to kind of call them virtual experiences virtual, as opposed to virtual events, because... I guess maybe it's just my background. I'm very, I'm very, you know, been doing this for thirty some odd years in terms of the event industry. And to me, an event is a face to face interaction in some way. Um, you can do things online, and you can do things in a virtual environment that you can't necessarily do uh, at a face to face interaction. But there's a whole lot of things that you can't do in a virtual environment that you can do in a face to face interaction. And we've got to find that intersection point between the two. The key, the key thing that, about it that I think, and again, this is coming out of some conversations that we've had at Oracle, is that you know, virtual events, virtual, virtual meetings, social media is not about technology. At the, at the core, it's about people. And if you're going to succeed in this space, it's not enough to you know, start a blog, have a Twitter account, engage in a community, create a virtual, you know, an emulated environment of some kind. You can't simply succeed by, you know, assigning somebody to do the social media or the virtual event thing, if you will. I mean, being effective in this area, it really somehow, in some ways it requires somewhat of a transformation of how you think about marketing. And again, it's, it's that it's that we're moving very much away from, uh, you know, the traditional kind of one-way marketing where I push out my message to you and you then go buy my product, hopefully, to a world where, you know, transparency and authenticity are, are far more important and the content that you provide is far more important in, cre- in terms of creating trust between you and your, and your users and opening up that world to where users have a, a place in it. And, it, you know, if you go back to kind of the, the four P's of marketing, you know, that are kind of the traditional product, price, place, and promotion, you know, we need to start thinking about updating that and adding the fifth P of participation. Um, you know, when you start to put customers in control and, you, and they can see inside your company, you know, one of, the, one of the fundamental changes is that you have to be able to embrace some transparency and you've got to be authentic. Um, and, when it, and when it comes down to virtual meetings and virtual events, it's not really all that different. You're, you're exposing some different things, and the more that you try to control that through trying to control the environment, the less interested I think people will be in it. Um, you know, I, I've come out fairly publicly in a couple of places and said that, you know, that this idea of these emulated physical environments that they're using with virtual trade shows and probably not making any friends in that particular vendor in, environment, but I, I just find them incredibly unimaginative, and I don't understand why you would try to emulate a real physical event in a virtual, you know, sort of second wifeish type of environment with kind of, you know, fake avatars walking around and just simply trying to replicate what you're doing in a live event. There are so many different other opportunities available, you know, again, with technology, 
but part of it is really just stepping back and really understanding specifically what you're trying to do and who your audience is and who you're trying to reach and making sure that you really kind of understand kind of the, 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 the social and, and psychographic demographics of what people do and how they do it in an online environment. Because I happen to believe that it's far different, you know, what you do online than what you do in a face-to-face interaction. So these are some of the things that we're starting to think about at Oracle and trying to really sit down and define, you know, specifically what we're trying to do when we're trying to take our face-to-face programs and extend them and complement them by doing some virtual experiences in an online kind of way. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's really kind of cracked that nut yet. I haven't seen anybody that, you know, there, there are some good examples out there. There's some companies like Cisco and HP that are doing some interesting things. And I, there are some good examples out there, but I'm not sure anybody has completely nailed it yet just yet. And so we're trying to take the approach of let's, let's really step back and let's really try and nail this thing and create some, you know, great touch points and great interactions with our customers that, are, that, that keep that uniqueness and that differentiation that Oracle is kind of known for. Um, so, so that's kind of what we're doing right now. Well, let me ask you, when you talk about HP and Cisco, and I've heard you mention that before, what is it about what they're doing? If, it, if there is more authenticity, if there is more transparency, if it's not just emulating a physical environment, what is it about their work that you actually do like? What, what are the characteristics of best practice? Well, I think, again, the, the characteristic of best practice that I've seen so far with you know, and it's a somewhat of a limited view at this point, but I've had some conversations with their folks, is I think they're taking the right approach. They're not just going out and hiring a vendor, you know, that's doing, you know, these virtual trade shows and, and saying, here's my content, put it in your platform, and I'm done. They're really kind of stepping back and, and saying, who are we trying to reach, and, and what, what are some of the behavioral characteristics of those audiences? You know, Cisco, for example, is taking their, you know, uh, big uh, internal sales kickoff that they do every year, and they're doing it virtual this year. And, you know, it's been a big challenge for them in terms of, and it's been a big challenge for us, too, because we're kind of doing the same thing. You know, you you take away a kind of a big, you know, face-to-face interaction thing, and you've got to, like, start to relearn, you know. You still have to be able to, you know, deliver some training. You still have to be able to... Um, you know, provide some motivation and, and reward people. And some of those things you can do online. You can probably provide training online and be relatively successful at it. You know, you, you're up against things like, you know, people tending to multitask and being distracted when they're working online as opposed to sitting in a classroom. Although these days even people sitting in the classroom tend to be pretty distracted with things like Twitter and email and, and their iPhones and whatnot. But but, but when you have to think about, you know, how do you actually motivate people online and how do you actually reward people online, you have to rethink, you know, the way that, that, the way that you do that because it's no longer, you know, getting Aerosmith up on a stage and getting everybody excited about that and having an awards program and getting people up on stage and get, have, having them be recognized in front of their peers. Now their peers are spread across you know, many geographies and many time zones, and they're not there to give you that personal recognition. So you have to think about some different ways of doing that. And, and I think, you know, with what Cisco is doing with their sales conference, which doesn't roll out for a few months yet, but just some of the early insights I've had into it, they're taking the right approach in terms of not even starting with the technology at all, but really starting kind of in that mode that, that you and I have talked about and worked on for the last few years of, you know, who's our audience, 
what is that audience, you know, what are their concerns, what are their needs, you know, what kind of value do we need to create to, to, to make this a successful program, you know, what are our core objectives, and then, and then how are we going to use this technology to really communicate to them? And that's, that's a great example, I think, of, I think, the approach that the event industry needs to think about relative to these virtual trade shows. Don't start with the technology. You know, start with your basics. Start with your basic understanding of your audience and what your audience's concerns are on that macro and micro level, what kind of value you're trying to create, and what specifically you're trying to do, and then, and then start to think about, okay, what pieces of technology – and maybe in some instances it is a virtual trade show, but it may be a game environment. It may be some kind of an online game. It may be some kind of, you know, interactive, you know, web, web video conference. There's so many different technologies out there that you can use as long as you understand what your audience is and what you're trying to do with them and then think about the technology that fits that particular audience. So this is the mistake that many of them, many of the big companies are making right now, and and really as as communicators and publishers, which almost everybody is now, not just big companies, we're all kind of publishing and broadcasting and so forth. This is a, a big piece of wisdom that I want our audience to think about: are we are we leading with the technology, or are we leading with the the new shiny toys, or are we really thinking about these audience concerns, what they need, what their learning styles are, what their preferences are? And I know that you do a great job of that, Paul. So we're going to come right back after a short break and, and get more personal with Paul. And Paul is somebody that is super active in these social tools, but thinking about them in, in wide ranges of perspectives. So we're going to come back with Paul and talk about how you use these technologies personally and, and inside your role and leave our audience, as we do each week, with some takeaways, things that they could be thinking differently about interacting with both their customers, their colleagues, and their employees. So we'll be right back with Paul in just a minute. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Do you consider yourself a super affiliate? Then listen up. One of the most trusted names in affiliate marketing since 2003, XY7.com, has now launched XY7Elite.com. It's a private, invitation-only affiliate program run by super affiliates for super affiliates. Enjoy private, tested offers, weekly deposits right to your bank account or XY7 debit card. XY7 VIP concierge service, limousine transportation to and from major industry events and the status of being one of the elite publishers xy7 elite is not for everyone and you need to be accepted and maintain volume requirements think you got what it takes to be elite go to www.xy7elite.com or call 702-216-4000 once again that's xy7elite.com or call 702-216-4000 Your company's website sucks. You know it. Everybody knows it. So get a to-do list to fix it. On Target, a subscription service from Future Now and Brian Eisenberg monitors your website 24-7. Analyzing the actions of every potential customer. It gives you a to-do list. It tells you exactly what to fix and how to fix it. So that more of your visitors do what you need them to do. On Target pricing starts at $1,000 a month. See more at futurenowinc.com slash ontarget. Hey, Jim, why are all the coders leaving so early? Doesn't your department have a deadline of, like, midnight or something? Me and my staff are here all night. I saved money on my staffing budget by outsourcing a lot of work to Offshoring.com. I told them I needed a coder, and they sent me profiles fast. My staff just filled in the little details, and now we're having margarita night. 
Offshoring.com. Fast, inexpensive, excellent, and on time. Offshoring.com. Mobile Presence, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. All right, we are back with Paul Salinger as we're wrapping up this week's episode. And, and I want to get personal on this particular point, and then we'll expand. It's just something that I'm, I'm thinking a lot about. I just got back uh, last night from Reagan's Communicators Conference in Chicago, and there's some really interesting thoughts going on around Twitter and around Facebook, but specifically this idea of microblogging. And uh, one of the speakers used an example of, of an individual sitting in class and uh, and tweeting uh, all through the class and and taking notes um, in this kind of 140 character type of, of fashion, and then leaving at the end of class and saying to the teacher, you know, I've got a ton of notes here. Um, can you tell me what's important? <laughs> And that's this interesting dynamic that we have when we get so caught up in the technology and what's cool and we're doing all of this um, listening um, through, you know, tweeting. And we're, we're live in front of people, but we're losing the intimacy and the connection because we're engaged in our technology. And, and the other article I read on the flight home, and I wanted to get your reaction to this, uh, in the week, uh, one of my new favorite magazines, um, giving you a picture of the world like Us Weekly, Gotta love yeah. that. But um, when the articles talked about Twitter, if it was a human being, if you put a human personality to the technology, it would be one of those really needy girlfriends or boyfriends that you had that just shares all the time, that is just profusely, dramatically, and from their own insecurities, professing all of these emotions in a 24-7 sort of environment. Somebody that after a while you'd say, you know what, I just can't deal with you anymore. Uh, and I'm curious, um, because you're someone who, who is pretty fluid in these technologies and I think getting some value. Is, is that personification valid from your perspective, or, or how do you think about uh, getting value, not just using the technology, but how do you actually extract value for you uh, as an individual and in your role in the company? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a somewhat accurate description, and, you know, and, and I definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly active. I'm not nearly as active as some people that I see on Twitter. I'm, I'm fairly active, um, but, you know, I, I think it, it is, you have to learn to filter, you know, just like we do in real life. You know, you tend to filter out the things that um, you don't want to have kind of, you know, circulating in your brain all day long. And, you know, I sit, I mean, I use Twitter pretty much every day, and, and I leave it open on my desktop at work, and, you know, and I kind of monitor it. And, and I find it valuable because, you know, the people that I choose to follow and the people that follow me, I find post-relevant content. And, and again, as we've been talking about, you know, in, in, in the end, that's what it ends up coming back to is, is there relevant content? If there were not relevant content on Twitter, it would not be successful for me anyway. And when I say relevant content, you know, I, I hear a lot from people, oh, you know, I don't really want to know about what this guy had for breakfast or if he was walking his dog. And it's like, yeah, you know, have you actually gotten on Twitter and tried to follow some relevant people? Um, because that's not really what it's about. Um, but but there, I, I do think it's also important 
to, to step away from any piece of technology and kind of have those quiet moments. Um, you know, and I definitely do that. I mean, I'll, I'll spend, you know, a couple of days, and, and I was in Chicago with some friends last week and spent a couple of days, you know, barely on Twitter and some days not even on it at all. Um, you know, but Twitter, t- Twitter to me is something that you can jump in and out of fairly regularly. And, you know, the key to me is, you know, posting your own relevant content, retweeting other people's relevant content, and engaging in some interesting conversations that, that actually lead to something that's useful in work. And I follow a number of people that are event professionals that follow me. I, number, I follow a number of people that are interested in uh, green meetings and sustainability issues, which is another kind of passion of mine. And I follow just general people that are, you know, good social media people. And through that, I have, I have found quite a lot of interesting content that I use on a day-to-day basis in my work environment. And I think that's the way to use Twitter. Um, you know, again, it, it, it's a tool and it's a technology. And, you know, it, the, the more you use it in the right way, and again, that right way, I think, is, is you know, focusing on relevant content is, um, you know, something that you can use to, to be valuable. Uh, the thing about Twitter is, is that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to measure the actual value of it. I don't think you can measure Twitter necessarily in terms of real marketing metrics. What I think Twitter is really good for is idea generation. And if, and if you're using it for idea generation and can measure it on a personal level from that standpoint, then I think it's successful. Yeah, I've heard some great success stories, and I think that's a, a great way to frame it. And, and I think there is a self-correcting mechanism on, on the Internet and social media, and I think Twitter is probably moving towards that middle now, you know, or at least making some progress towards um, providing relevant content um, for a large number of people. But uh, that's a nice way to frame it for our audience and our listeners to think about um, being relevant yourself, making sure that you're focused on the relevant issues and you're putting out good content and then looking for good content because there's a lot, of, a lot of noise out there that we want to make sure that we're not being too distracted from right now because that's a big concern that we're hearing in the communications world. But as we wrap up, Paul, can you share with us some, some takeaways? And when you think about the future of face-to-face meetings, when you're talking about green meetings and green technology and the things that you're passionate about and our communication professionals that are listening out there, the business leaders that are listening out there, there. Um, what are some things that they can think about in terms of the future of, of face-to-face interactions and, and how they can um, create more connection and, and meaning out in the world while uh, achieving their business goals or personal goals? Well, you know, I think, again, it, it comes, you sort of have to take a step back, you know, before you start, you know, even building a, pl- a plan, a marketing plan or a communications plan or, or anything else, you you sort of want to take the time to understand where you part- where you want to participate in the conversation. You know, if you're a product marketer, or if you're or if you're in marketing, or even if you're in communications, you know, who's talking about the product or the topic? You know, what's the emotional level of the discussion? Is it positive? Is it negative? How are you going to respond to that? You know, you've got to create some internal guidelines on what you want to discuss and 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 the limits of that. And you have to make sure that your teams understand those limits. You know, it's one of the things that we've been doing at Oracle is, you know, we, we encourage people to participate in all of these communication channels and all of these social media channels, but we've written some guidelines. And, and I think it's important to have guidelines and make sure that people aren't just, you know, using this as kind of personal promotion and as, um, 
you know, as, as kind of offhand comments about the company that they work for. At the end of the day, you, you, you know, if you're, if you're a comp- an employee at a company and you're using these social media tools and using these communication tools, if you're in marketing especially, you represent the brand and you represent the people that work for the company. And you have to understand that you've got to have some guidelines to, to guide that, um, you know, and not have people just going off in every, every direction. You know, so, so it actually takes some limits, you know, and, and the more, you know, the more that you can create some good constraints and some good things, then you've got some opportunities to add value to the conversation. And, and it really comes down to, to that listening component. You have to be able to listen as well as to participate. Sometimes the listening piece is almost more important than the participation piece. Um, you know, if you're monitoring a conversation online, you know, either through a blog or through Twitter or through any other marketing communication channel, you know, if you can listen and, and really come back with a, a really valuable response to what's going on, then, you, then you've got, you know, a place at the table and you can keep that conversation going. And you've got to define the business objectives. You know, if you're in the business world, if, you, if you're not tying to some kind of de- definable business objective, then you're just wasting a lot of time. And that's what happens a lot on Twitter especially is, is that people are just using that. And they're using, using things like Facebook and using things like LinkedIn, you know, using even some of their own marketing channels to, in, in ways that aren't really tied to great business objectives. So I don't know. I guess, I guess my, my main takeaway and my, my, my main advice is, you know, that sometimes, you know, as marketers, you know, we kind of want the Ferrari. We kind of want, you know, all the flashy, shiny new tools, and, and there's lots of them out there and lots more that are coming online every day. And we get enamored with the technology and we get enamored with the tools and we get enamored with kind of flashy stuff. And, you know, at some point, it's important to kind of step back and say, you know what, maybe we need to actually go back to the basics. We need to go back to understanding who our audience is, what their concerns are, what our objectives are, how we're, how we're going to create value for that audience, and, and, and then be able to tell a great story. I mean, you know, again, I, I come from a theater background, so storytelling is incredibly important. And, you know, if you can create a great story and create some value for, for your customers at the end of the day, you're going to be far more successful than just taking all these fancy, you know, technology tools and trying to use them um, in some non-integrated kind of way. Uh, I, what a great sum up, Paul. Um, and, and I hope our, our listeners took some notes because we are getting, I think, a bit lost. And after spending uh, a couple of days in this conference and hearing, uh, you know, one of the exercises, the, the speaker said, how many people are on Twitter right now uh, or, or in the last couple of days? And virtually everybody, about 250 people raised their hand. How many people are on, it on, on a regular basis? And then maybe about half to two-thirds, 150 people or so. How many people know the value that they, they are gaining or providing using the technology? And the hands went down to about 25 so I think it's real important, as you say, to really think about the humanity, think about the people, think about why are you using this, not get lost in the tools, and, uh, and focus on audiences, uh, focus on the individuals and what their concerns are and what you're trying to achieve. So um, that's a great wrap-up. I, I do want to uh, close also reminding our listeners that we have some good shows coming up. We have Norm Smallwood, um, who is with RBL, who is the author of a new book called Leadership Code, uh, which I just started diving into, and 
and it's pretty fantastic. It, it distills the leadership capabilities that are necessary in today's workplace down to five key principles, and it's a very wide-ranging uh, set of principles uh, rather than looking at leadership in these particular capacities in, in most leadership books out there. So I urge you to, to check out Norm Smallwood coming up, and we also have Amy Lyman from the Great Place to Work Institute, uh, one of the founders of the Great Place to Work Institute, um, and one of the, the core statisticians and, uh, and has tremendous knowledge about organizations. So, um, so thank you, Paul. Thank you again to Webmaster Radio for, for having us on. Um, and we look forward to hearing from uh, our guests in the coming weeks. And, and remember to engage with us <laughs> as I talk about Twitter on, uh, on Twitter.com uh, forward slash Fired Up Radio. We want to hear from you and hear what your thoughts are about what you heard from Paul today and what you'd like us to talk about in future episodes. So um, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next week. 